and there are many more. And a method is a method by any name. And most of the methods, most, are all right. Some are not. But one has to have one's own discrimination to know that. Most methods are fine. But one has to know that all methods only have two directions. Doesn't matter how many methods there are, there are two directions. And the method we use has to lend itself to those two directions. Otherwise, our meditation becomes a purpose in itself rather than a means to an end. Those two directions are called calm and insight. Samatha or samadhi and vipassana. Calm is samatha, insight is vipassana. Now, notwithstanding whatever you may have heard, vipassana means insight and it's not a method. It's a result. Methods are how to, how to do it, how to get there. Now, the ultimate goal of Buddhist meditation is insight. By whatever means of meditation we have got there, an insight means one thing only in Buddhist terminology. And this you may as well know now, so that when we talk about these things, it may be a little clearer. In the beginning, it all seems like a whole lot of uh, difficult uh, terms and all that. These three terms, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and corelessness. Seeing those three, or one of those three, means insight. The word insight, the word vipassana, means being able to see those three. Now, if we see one of them, truly see it, where it means seeing it in ourselves. We see all three. That's why I have started to mention impermanence. It's the easiest one of the three. Unsatisfactoriness, we can often find people saying, well, look, I've got enough problems in my life already. I don't want to look at that again. Fair enough. And substancelessness, corelessness, is difficult. So we use impermanence at this time because also we're only together for a short period and so we will have to stay with that which is easily digested. So we practice calm and insight. Now in order to practice it, we need to meditate and contemplate. Meditation is what we have been doing a little today. And all we were doing, primarily what we were doing, not all, but primarily, trying to direct the mind towards calm. And this is important and it is essential and we can't do without. Because if you can imagine, for instance, an ocean where the waves are going high 
and you're standing right underneath one of these waves. All you can see is the water in that wave. You can't see anything else. Then when that ocean smooths out again and the water has become quite calm, you may be able to look into the depths. You may be able to see the sand and the coral and the fish because it's all smooth. And this is what happens with our mind. As long as it's churning, thinking, hoping, wishing, wanting, rejecting, planning, very popular one, planning. It's going to get better tomorrow for sure. <laughs> as long as we do that, we can't look into the depths because things are happening. It's all happening in the mind. When it's happening, there's no room for anything else. So we have to get calm first. The mind has to become calm. As it has become calm, then we have a chance to look into the depth, specifically if we're directed where to look. And we can see it quite clearly. There's nothing obstructing that clarity then. So the first practice leads towards calm. However, a little bit of calm brings a little bit of insight. A little bit of insight brings a little bit of calm. Now, as was said, as I label the thought, it dissolves and I can see it's too unnecessary. Now that's a little bit of insight. And as the mind gets a little bit of insight, it says in the end, well, the whole thing's unnecessary, all this thinking, I'm going to stay with the breath. So a little bit of insight brings a little bit of calm. So we do not deny what is arising. We use it to help us to become calm. We need more than just momentary calm. Because momentary calm is just a single moment of a smooth surface. That single moment of a smooth surface is not enough to see what's down there. We're not that fast. We need a smooth surface for a length of time. So the practice goes towards having states of consciousness, of awareness, which are far removed from this everyday consciousness and do not have the meditation subject in it anymore. The meditation subject changes completely and it goes towards, in the beginning, it goes towards the feelings and later it goes to an expansion of the mind. I won't go into that now, but those are all steps on the way to calm. As the mind becomes calmer and calmer, it has a totally different approach to the reality in which we live. As I have mentioned, we take things for granted. We take it for granted that we're breathing. But as the mind becomes very calm, we see that not only is this breath very impermanent, everything that's happening in here is totally impermanent. Every thought comes and it goes. And every feeling comes and goes. And the body has changed tremendously since it was born. All you have to do is look at your old photo albums and then find out which one of those you are. 
and then you'll find that you are hundreds of me's all looking entirely different faintest family resemblance may be to be found so as the mind becomes calmer and calmer it sees impermanence clearer and clearer and as it sees that clearer it has a chance to remove itself from all that thinking process more and more so that it can actually go into depth so our way of meditation which leads us to calm has only one purpose and that's to gain insight now the mantra was mentioned mantra is a way to calm and can very well be used it the word buddho for instance is also a mantra it's a word and we use it with the breath so that the breath remains with it so that we can also see the impermanence of it because if we only use the word the danger in that arises and this is what i mentioned earlier the danger arises that calm comes but the mind does not go to go towards insight because we take these things all for granted that everything that we've ever thought of is all gone unless we've written it down or written a book about it we can't remember a thing we've ever thought it's all gone we can't remember what we felt unless we've kept a very detailed diary or written a book about it again it's all gone everything has disappeared and we take it for granted but what we are right now this moment that's also disappearing it's already gone now it's another moment something else is again happening now when the mind has the ability to stay in one spot and be very one pointed on the meditation subject and let the rest of the world disappear as it does when one stays on the meditation subject those things that we usually take for granted and never pay attention to they arise in a totally different way just as if we have an ocean where we've only seen the waves until now we've never had a chance to see anything except the waves and then the waves all disappear and we go in there and we actually stare down into the depths of that ocean and we see an enormous life down below the water level you know like when you take snorkels and go down you see a whole uh, area of life and existence that we have never even dreamt of that was there because all we see is this water that makes waves it's the same with the mind we constantly see the waves of thinking and we think we've got all these problems but they're all waves of thinking that's all they are and once we stop that we have a chance to go into the depth where we can see a totally new and totally different aspect of existence which leads us into complete insight one day complete insight means that we have seen absolute reality absolute reality which in the end 
has the same appearance as this relative reality in which we live, outward appearance, everybody still looks the same and um, the whole city and the country looks the same, but the inner importance has changed completely. The inner value has changed. So we have to use calm meditation in order to gain insight. On the way, on this pathway, we try to use everything that arises to gain insight from it. Therefore, the labeling. The labeling gives us insight into ourselves. Therefore, the attention to the fact that the breath is impermanent. It cannot be permanent because it would be dead if it were. So we have to see it for what it is, coming and going. The thoughts are impermanent. Some people find it extremely difficult to become calm, which means they find it very difficult to stay on the breath for more than a moment, or even not that, or on whatever subject they've chosen. They can instead look at the impermanence of all that goes on within. And as the mind sees more and more of that, it gets more and more tired of paying attention to it. It just wants to have a nice rest and it will stay on the breath. So what I'm saying is that some people have to use insight first, a little bit of it, to gain some calm. Others go right ahead with the calm and then gain insight. And some do both, once this, once that. We have to practice both anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But if we know our mind to be extremely analytical and always trying to think about things, then we need to approach it from the standpoint of looking at the impermanence of what goes on within. We can also use contemplation in order to gain insight. And contemplation is a totally different matter from meditation. And maybe I will tell you now the difference between the two so that we can actually practice a little bit of that also. In meditation, we want to become one-pointed. We want to get to the point where we can stay on the breath and have the calm, the stopping of the waves so that we are able to look into depth. Now in contemplation, we take a subject which has universal application and apply that to ourselves. See how it actually fits to ourselves, whether it's true ourselves and what our own reaction to it is, whether we'd like to forget it, whether we have never thought of it, whether we dislike it, or whether we're just totally indifferent to it, can't be bothered with it, or whether it gives rise 
to an inner reaction which says, I need to keep that in mind. We'll do a contemplation like that in a few minutes so that you get an idea of how it's done and how it could be done and what it can bring to us. Now, contemplation is strictly for insight. And I'm sure every one of you has done it at one time or another without specifically calling it contemplation. It's like sitting on a bench under a tree with nobody around and trying to figure out what life is all about. Well, that's contemplation. And if one gets a good answer, then it was a successful contemplation. And if one gets no answer at all, well, then it's also successful because the answers are so difficult to find that we do need guidance. This kind of thing we've probably all done at one time or another. The Buddha recommends it in a very, um, very analytical way, in a certain way to do it, which is, uh, he says, very important for every person. So we'll do that in a moment. And contemplation is something that we should do on a spiritual path in our daily lives because it will help us to get away from this marketplace consciousness where we're constantly engaged in trying to figure out how things could possibly be good for ourselves and see more of the underlying realities where we are more connected to the whole of existence rather than being so separated, alienated, and have only a connection with a few people or with a, with a family, but feel more part of the whole. Our contemplative powers grow with our meditation process. The better we can meditate, the easier it is to contemplate because although it's not a one-pointed um, meditation subject, it still requires non-discursive thinking. See, we have to make a distinction between our different ways of thinking. Discursive thinking is what happens when you sit in meditation and you hear a sound and you say, I wish they didn't have so many trucks in Melbourne and uh, I'm going to move to the country and uh, then uh, the prices are too high and uh, then I haven't paid my, the last bills on my desk and uh, I've got to ring home. I'd better stop now and go and ring home and tell them to pay my bills. Well, that's discursive thinking. It goes from one thing to the next to the next and the whole thing really doesn't have any application to what you're really doing. Meditation means staying on the breath, but contemplation means staying on one subject without that discursiveness that goes from one point to the next. Now, in order to recognize that, even in daily living, one has to be able to do the different ways of thinking, and then one becomes aware of that discursiveness and recognizes it for what it is, namely pretty useless. It's nothing but work for the mind without any results. So contemplation has also concentration in it, but it doesn't have that one 
pointedness of the meditation. In order to have a spiritual life, one needs to remember some of these things that we've talked about today. Remember them in one's daily living. And the most important one possibly to remember is the impermanence of all that exists and check it out for oneself. Again and again, check it out. Is it true? Is really everything impermanent? Checking against the people, the situations, the feelings, whatever it may be, whatever one may wish to have and to know and to hold, is it impermanent? And then see oneself as part of that impermanence and no longer resist it. That's one way of using spiritual truth in one's daily life. The other way is that part of mindfulness which we have already talked about and which I will elaborate on tomorrow, namely mindfulness of the body, the actions of the body. We sometimes, we call it washing dishes while washing dishes. When you have the very interesting job tonight of washing dishes, please watch it and see whether the mind and the body are both washing dishes or whether it's just the body doing automatic movements and the mind thinking about the next day. And if you catch yourself thinking about the next day, planning ahead what you're going to do tomorrow, how you're going to manage all the different duties and responsibilities, bring it back to washing dishes. And you might remember then that when you were walking and you were paying attention to walking, there were no problems. The world didn't contain any problems at that time. Walking only. So, washing dishes only, no problems one thing at a time because it doesn't really matter whether you plan ahead 10 minutes later or not it's not going to happen anyway it's all for the next day so washing dishes while washing dishes is another way of using mindfulness of the body which is the first foundation of mindfulness kaya nupasana in Pali which is one of the most important aspects of the training and as we use it we will find that eventually it becomes habitual. In the beginning, one has to remind oneself constantly, now pay attention, now I'm supposed to watch what I'm doing. And one forgets, of course, for hours at a time, and then it comes back. But eventually it becomes habitual. And one finds that everything that one does is easier to do, goes quicker, is more efficient, less hindrance in it and one feels much smoother with it because one's doing one thing at a time one doesn't worry about all the untold possibilities of things going wrong there's no end to those possibilities one might as well forget 
and just do one thing at a time. Mindfulness, which as I say I will elaborate on more because there are three more foundations, three more ways of being mindful. Mindfulness teaches us that we are only living this one moment and nothing else. All the past is gone. It's a memory and usually a wrong memory because our memories are faulty. We don't remember correctly. So it's a memory. And the future is a hope. And the future actually never comes. When it does come, it's called the present. To ne tomorrow never comes. When it comes, it's today. So the future is nothing but conjecture. And on top of that, the one who plans the future isn't going to live the future because we change every moment. That doesn't mean that we can't make some plans. One has to do some for study and for things like that or travel. But we have to live in each moment. And that, strangely enough, is the most difficult thing for most people. And that's why it's so difficult to meditate. We can only watch this one breath that is now happening. We can't watch the breath that's already gone. And we can't watch the breath that's yet to come. There's only one breath we can watch, and that's this one. And because we are not practiced in living in the present, our mind runs off all the time. Past, future. Future, past. And yet... It doesn't produce anything. Well, it does, actually. It produces worry and restlessness. Our fourth hindrance, particularly worry. The future is always worrisome, isn't it? I mean, what's good about the future? It's always something to worry about. It could go wrong. So mindfulness teaches us to be here now. And when we learn to be here now, we can also meditate. Mindfulness is the mental aspect which will eventually bring concentration. Mindfulness is the necessary ingredient for complete concentration. So if we actually do want to meditate properly, mindfulness in daily living, at this point in time, bodily action is a must as much of it as we can possibly bring about and impermanence now we're going to do a um, contemplation together and uh, what I'll do is I'll say it first I'd like you to repeat it after me so that it sinks in a little better and then I'll say something about it so that may help you to contemplate on it. In order to get started, please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Now please repeat after me. 
I'm of the nature to decay. I have not got beyond decay. Now, the first thing to do is to investigate whether this is true. And if it's true, whether you've actually noticed it. And if you've noticed it, whether you have any rejection or resistance of it, how you feel about it, whether it has given you pause to think about it, what does it mean to you? I'm of the nature to be diseased. I have not got beyond disease. Now again, investigate whether this is so, whether there has been sickness in the past and whether it's likely to happen again. And then, Try to think what that means in terms of ownership of this body and also in terms of the impermanent nature of this body. I'm of the nature to die. I have not got beyond death. Now, obviously, here we don't have to investigate whether that's true or not. But what we do have to investigate is whether we've actually taken that into account in our daily lives and how we feel about it whether we are ready for it, what it means in terms 
of our life. All that is mine, dear and delightful, will change and vanish. Now here we have to investigate whether this is true, has been true in the past, that that what we hold dear and what we think is mine, whether it has changed or vanished, and if we find that experiences, sensations, people, things have done so, what about those that we hold dear now and that we think are mine? Can we recognize the impermanent nature? of my karma. Now here we have to 
investigate and contemplate the fact that we need to take full responsibility for everything that's happening to us. Whether we can see the karmic connection or not, whatever it is that is arising in our lives is due to what we ourselves have put into the stream of happening. I am heir to my karma. Here we need to understand that if we want a valuable inheritance, we have to manufacture it ourselves. It means taking full responsibility for all that happens in our lives. to my karma. We need to look at this in this way, that it's the closest relationship we'll ever have. It's close to us, to us as our own skin. It consists of all the intentions we have in mind, speech and action. Our life depends on that. Whatever karma I will do, good or evil, that I inherit. And that brings us to the present moment where again we need to investigate and contemplate upon the fact that we are the manufacturers of our own lives. What we intend that we will reap.
I'll give you some homework to do till tomorrow. First of all, washing dishes while washing dishes, or taking the garbage out while taking the garbage out, or sweeping the floor while sweeping the floor, or making the beds while making the beds. There's very little point in saying driving the car while driving the car, because if you don't, you won't appear here tomorrow. In other words, mindfulness of your bodily actions. Secondly, do a bit of contemplation on your own impermanence. The first three or four of these five, these are called the five daily recollections, are all about impermanence. The first three about our own impermanence, decay, disease and death, and the fourth one about all that we call mine and that we find delightful, whatever it may be, impermanence. So the first four about impermanence, and the fifth one's all about the ownership of our own intentions. So homework is about impermanence. Try to find something that's permanent, and if you find it, let me know about it. We've got two more minutes to ask some questions, if you like. Yes. Yes, because of, because of the fact that we don't like the law of nature, we think when it actually happens, it's a tragedy. But since it happens to everyone, we might as well live with the law of nature. Decay, disease, and death are laws of nature. And because we think they are unpleasant, we like to forget about them, and then when they do happen, when we get sick, our loved ones die, when we get old and not so pretty as we were, we think that's terrible. We can die any time, any day. Nothing terrible about it. Our loved ones can die any time, any day. Nothing terrible about it. It just is the law of nature. If we were to live according to the law of nature, we wouldn't pollute our streams, we wouldn't devastate our forests, we wouldn't start atomic wars, we would live with nature, in nature, without resisting and rejecting it. Without resistance and rejection of the laws of nature, there's nothing unpleasant about it. It just is. We're all going to die. I'm happy to write you a written guarantee. I think you'll have to use that as a contemplation. Try and contemplate on it. I'm sure you'll find the answer. Contemplate on it till tomorrow and see what happens. Sorry? That means that you are, now you have to look at the resistance of that. The resistance is a very important feature to look at. 
what don't I like about it, the way things are. We don't like it. If we, if we were liking the laws of nature, we wouldn't constantly flaunt them. We would live within them, but with our, the way we live when we have finally found out about it is that we are actually resisting and rejecting them so much that they're going to turn back on us and hurt us very badly. We've finally seen it. So that resistance is difficult. Is, uh, not, uh, you're not the only one. Well, the, the contemplation didn't say that's all we are. It says we are of the nature of. And that has to be taken into consideration. nice and pleasant and easy and comfortable and try to keep them. We can't. And we love a very marked tendency to never look at those things which we think are neither nice nor pleasant nor comfortable and reject them and resist them. Neither way of that which we don't like. But when you do contemplate on your resistance, see whether you also resist as a major item impermanence. Anything else? Well, then you're forgetting the fifth one. Karma. Before karma catches up with you, that unfortunately can't be done either. It's also a law of nature. Karma will catch up with you no matter what. It doesn't have to be in the same body. Yes, that's quite true. But because that statement is a little uh, difficult to understand, it, uh, the Buddha didn't formulate it that way. But we are our own karma. That's all we really are. But uh, that also, you see what you're saying, would lend itself to contemplation. What am I here for? And I'm not going to give you the answer because it would, should be your own contemplation, right? Because that's a very interesting aspect and that should really 
be of the greatest interest to every person. What am I doing? What, what is this life all about? What seems to be its purpose? So that should, could be a contemplation subject. It doesn't have to be, I'm of the nature to die. It can be, I'm of the nature to live, so what am I doing? Yes, as much as I see you all tomorrow. <laughs>